News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Harry Siegel, here with Professor Christina Greer. Hello. Hi, Harry Siegel. Hey. So let's jump in with just some of the news from another jam-packed week in New York City. Deep breath. The NYPD is encrypting all of its radios. That means the press won't be able to listen in. Eric Adams says we have to do this because criminals are listening in, although uh, there's no particular evidence of that uh, that he can point to. There was one thing in 2016. Uh, Other cities that have done this have the radios available in like a 15-minute lag to protect operational security or whatnot. It's not clear if there's any plan for that in New York City right now. So so this is yet another part of uh, slipping into darkness or uh, obscurity from this administration. Uh, There was a terrible killing in my part of Brooklyn. Uh, A dancer, O'Shea Sibley, he was coming back from the Jersey Shore uh, with his friends. They were voguing, and uh, he was a dancer, uh, professional, and playing Beyonce uh, when a bunch of teens started started hurling slurs, saying, we're Muslim, don't be doing this around us. Uh, The the men talked back. Uh, The groups argued. They stepped away. They started arguing again. Uh, and then finally, one of these teens who is yet to be apprehended uh, stabbed O'Shea, who uh, who passed away at the hospital. Um, not 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 good at all. Uh, and then a shelter twofer with two very different sorts of shelters. Uh, Katie Honan, uh, who's out doing her job right now, she reported this week at the city that. Uh, the city, the nonprofit news site, that the city, New York City, this is a running problem, uh, is no longer accepting cats at its shelters for the first time in memory as they are overwhelmed with uh, pets of all sorts as the pandemic and the panic purchases happened and then as the eviction moratorium has ended. Uh, they have cats in their facilities now, like in crates, in halls. They're saying no animal will really be turned away, but also don't bring us cats. We can't accept them. Um, Already last year, something like 3,000 animals died at these facilities, mostly through owner-intended euthanasia, um, while all told about 15,000 came in, and uh, those numbers are now going up. Then shifting to a different sort of shelters and another problem stemming from a new state of emergency, uh, there were migrants sleeping cardboard boxes wind up around the block outside of the Roosevelt Hotel in Manhattan, which is the uh, city's quote unquote welcome center now all through the weekend. Uh, when Hogan was there all weekend and watching this happen, uh, migrants were, be- were being given red tickets that look like lottery tickets. Uh, the city says they-, they were actually just numbered like at a deli counter, right? So number one goes first, number two goes second. But this is part of why people are sleeping outside is they're not allowed in at all, in very hot conditions, until their number is called. Numbers were getting called two or three at a time. Uh, People couldn't use the bathroom inside, so you had to go and hope your number didn't get called to Grand Central or a McDonald's or wherever. Uh, The people handing out these tickets, not so incidentally, were not 
city or health and hospital workers, health and hospitals running many of the new migrant shelters now. And that's actually a public good corporation that's not nominally part of the government, which means between that and medical security and the state of emergency stuff, they've been able to keep all sorts of things secret and off the books that would otherwise be there. They can also do emergency contract procurement, which is how you end up with DotGo, a firm that made many millions of dollars from the city administering uh, COVID tests very poorly, according to an audit from the controller's office, is now being subcontracted to help run H&H facilities here and also to bus people upstate, according to the New York Times reporting, often using false premises, like saying, hey, you'll be able to work up there, which is not so, and then telling people, and I more or less quote, shut the fuck up when they try to talk to a Times reporter about this or there will be consequences and I will come back and beat your ass. Asked about this, Eric Adams said, they're doing a, 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 a good job. They've done a good job. And in any large enterprise, of course, we'll look into this, but there's going to be one or two problematic people and pushed off on, on this being an issue. But of course, for the migrants, for reporters, for anyone else watching this, the distinction between these .go workers and the city and who's actually accountable to who is totally unclear, which is probably the point. Finally, the uh, Legal Aid Society and uh, the Coalition for the Homeless which the Legal Aid Society represents and are the court-appointed monitors, in effect, for the single men's shelters of the right to shelter, keep talking about how unacceptable this is and how they're getting closer to considering legal action. But this is happening as the mayor has already gone to court to say we need to suspend the right to shelter. And he's now saying we're in some next phase. This is coming to your neighborhood. It's all going downhill and things are going to get worse. And uh, the default here belongs with the federal government for not providing more support. The New York won't be like other cities with tent encampments. But whatever his new plan is, is totally this new, next phase, totally unclear. He says we'll know about it when he announces it. But this this phase does not appear to be going particularly well. Um, Chrissy, this is this is really hard. And and Adams, I don't think is wrong to say that, that he's sort of been left to his own devices to deal with this, but that also, I think at times can become a, a convenient both uh, uh, alibi and not get out of jail, but like do whatever you please card uh, against criticism. What do you think is happening right now? Yeah. I mean, Harry, I am literally confused because when I read the stories about the no bid contract that is occurring. So you had me at no bid contract. I never, that never makes me feel good just because even if it is some sort of performance, at least you're going through the trouble of having a performance of like having people present ideas and we tussle through the ideas and then we choose what we want to do. So no big contract, what, 400 some odd million dollars from a company that worked on COVID, they were successful, question mark. And I don't understand this transition to migrant relief. And then you read the New York Times story, which is harrowing. Oh. These security guards sound like Gustavo thugs. Gestapo. Gestapo, not Gustavo. Gestapo thugs. I mean, Tomato, they sound, Right. I mean, they sound like they are just, you know, like what we hear about ICE agents at the border. I mean, just some of the worst of the worst threatening migrants who were there, many of whom uh, many of the guards are not bilingual, so they're yelling at them in English, and many of the 
migrants who are there don't even understand what they're being yelled at for, let alone what they're supposed to do. So my question and my concern is, why does this company have such an important job? And it seems as though I know that the mayor has been very clear, right? The buck stops with me. I make decisions. I'm the HNIC. I'm the big cheese, whatever he wants to call himself. I get it. But who brought this to him? Because, I mean, he's somewhat of a micromanager. Fine. But he doesn't, I don't think he was flipping through, like, the scrolls to decide who gets this. Someone brought this to him. And that's my question. I want to know, who presented the mayor with this idea? Because to me, it seems like a horrible idea. Um, And it seems like an idea that's going to have some legs and tentacles that will continue to follow him for the next year or two to say nothing of the human beings involved, the men, women, and children who are being trafficked, abused, shuttled to and fro based on this company that doesn't seem like this is in their wheelhouse. So I feel like I want to do some digging into how we got to this company, how we got to this place, and why it is that in the city of Buffalo, we've got these draconian measures going on for migrants that were once in New York City. And listen, I understand when the mayor says, Joe Biden, where's the money? Like, we are getting this influx. I need some support. But New York City is a a city of immigrants. We've always had influxes. I mean, yes, sometimes more than others, but like, we are a consistent, we're an organism. People are constantly leaving and going and coming. So we got a lot of people coming in. I get it. You need financial support. But this setup, Harry, makes me very unsettled. Oh, yeah. So a few things to make this even more unsettling for us, just as observers, let alone for uh, migrants who are trying to figure out what uh, services and shelters available for New Yorkers concerned about them, concerned about people sleeping on the streets, like little children, five-year-olds selling candy bars in the trains, all of that. Um, it's spinning in a few different directions here. Uh, a judge just uh, said the city needs to put into place a plan to provide uh, food stamps in a timely fashion because it is sued because it has completely failed to live up to its obligation to do that uh, on, on a calendar and was taking five or six times longer to do so. I suspect the one reason why that's happening is a shortage of city workers um, to fill some of these core functions. And that's one reason why so many of these firms that started getting giant contracts through COVID uh, are now getting giant uh, migrant service provision contracts. Uh, Gotham has reported on another one now called Executive Medical Services aka affiliated physicians that's gotten 700 million in total including a couple hundred million um for uh migrant services in the meantime uh i believe it was the new york times earlier this week i could be flipping sources had a piece about how you know uh, uh investors looking for the right market categories asset classes have now shifted from uh commercial real estate to hotels because the city is spending so much to fill hotels with migrants, largely uh, families, uh, but also including uh, single women and single men, 
that that there's now a revenue opportunity in that. So with emergency contracting, with the need to provide all these services, with uncertainty about how many more people might be coming or what we're dealing with, the city seems to be in a way that's echoed how it's long handled homelessness in general in the traditional shelter system with all of these quote unquote nonprofit providers who make a fortune off of providing terrible facilities and services and then pay themselves through their like separate custodial companies and so on to get more money into their own pockets in which the city is both trying to handle and take credit for and at the same time outsource its response to some of these issues and the setups that know how to bid for these contracts that have connections with city people already are jumping to the front of the line but as you're saying in buffalo and albany and various places where we're now shipping migrants to some of whom say they were brought there involuntarily or under false premise according to the times reporting you have the, the these people who are not being overseen in any height or regular fashion who, who seem to be the only people on site a bunch of the time who are doing whatever they want the city had reporting about a shelter in brooklyn where uh, the guy hired all of his friends and family members from, from a totally different nonprofit background again to uh, to to run this facility and one of them was just harassing all of the women for sex in the shelter where you know they have the keys and they can go into your room at any point so this seems like a really distressing breakdown i don't know what the solutions are this stuff is very hard and and the money isn't there but but I, i'm not sure that just uh showboating saying the lefties here aren't saying enough to pressure washington washington isn't doing enough is the same as saying i've adequately handled this issue and lastly you know you could tell from polling like with the homeless encampments the most new yorkers would rather see people pushed away and swept somewhere else and that goes for migrants that goes for people who are already here adams keeps talking about how this is insanity and he needs to make it localized insanity and that's a shorthand for we need some place that's not in front of midtown businesses that's not always in your neighborhood for these people to go but I, I it's impossible for me to see like these people are not going to and i'm using the phrase purposefully stay in one location they're here to try to build lives to try to find work and if you don't want them sleeping on the streets <clears throat> then you have to find some way to provide shelter it's, it's hard right but we know that the mayor and any elected official knows that visually you can't have people sleeping on the streets if you right. expect to get reelected. So, I mean, this is just like, you know, Giuliani with the squeegees. Like, we got to get them physically out of the line of sight because 2025 will be here before we know it. I mean, how fast is 2023 moving? Like, we're already more than halfway through. So he knows, the mayor knows, Eric Adams knows, that Re-election time, re-election conversations are just around the corner, and it makes it a lot more difficult to make the case for all these other things. You know, like Jeff Colton mentioned last week, you know, he's like, the mayor's getting rid of scaffolding. He's like, that matters to people. You know, like all these minor issues that the mayor's always been really good at when he was borough president, you know, when even when he was a legislator, going to this minutia, especially outer borough issues that people find of great concern— but he also knows that whether or not the progressives can get themselves together and get a solid candidate to challenge him, this will come up, right? So the feeling of safety, whether or not the numbers bear out, the feeling of sort of what is going on, the feeling of seeing people sleeping on the trains or sleeping on the street or sleeping, you know, in doorways changes how people perceive the reality. Now, we know that most of the people who are complaining and, you know, having little hissy fits 
it's like it's not even happening in your neighborhood. It's just the the story that you heard from that you heard that you heard from your cousin. So like my cousin's friend's uncle's wife said that someone got attacked by a migrant, right? Like these are usually stories that like are part of like the fictitious whisper down the lane, but there are a lot of people who are dealing with sort of feeling this sense of what where's the city going? What's like what services are being provided not just for people who have lived here but for newcomers as well. So I think It'll be interesting to see how this administration does the the kind of like out of sight, out of mind. You know, I mean, part of moving people to Buffalo is physically out of sight. You know, part of trying to figure out the shelters, it's like, yes, there's a humanitarian effort. Thank goodness. But a lot of it is like, we don't need to see this. And I think this is where it'll get interesting, obviously, when school picks up again. Because there's so many communities that love to talk about progressive values on paper and in theory and with their friends who are homogenous just like them. But when it comes to rubber hitting the road and having real conversations about school integration and possibly absorbing some of the migrant, I I hate calling it a crisis, the, the migrant influx into your own communities, neighborhoods, and schools, then that's when happens, that's when there's like, I support it, but, right? I mean, I was mentioned uh, Watermelon Man, that great movie that Melvin Van Peebles directed, right? And the wife says, well, I'm liberal to a point, right? And so I think we're going to find out what that point is in the city, since we know that there are several shades of blue with the Democratic New Yorkers that exist here. So when Adams was a president, when he was a state lawmaker, you can be like, I'm doing something about rats. You can bring out your new trap. You can do this issue by issue thing. And that that's more or less that. Um, it's even true, you know, way up the chain when you get to like the Chuck Schumer level as a lawmaker. But when you're the executive and you're running things, the standards for this are, are really different. And showing effort um, or that you're, you're investing in something by itself isn't enough. So Adams brought up uh, this, this uh, it's all downhill from here, new phase, all that, at a press conference where he was actually announcing a blueprint for community safety that is nominally a $485 million plan to curb gun violence, mostly separate from the police. So so involving uh, uh, credible messengers, violence interrupters, uh, trauma services, various other, other things, like youth job training and employment and so on. Um, it's actually about $40 million in new money. And then he's counting lots of money that had already been there to make it a plan. But, you know, th- this is what happens. But you could see him being frustrated that the shootings are significantly down so far this year from last year. Most of those shootings are in six police precincts. And as Chrissy was saying, mm-hmm. not necessarily the ones where people are talking about this all the time. But they're still way up from 2019. And so the question always is where the baseline is, where the threshold is. As Adams is announcing this this plan and he puts out a giant release with 72 co-signers and a big glossy thing showing all all the component parts. Uh, And, you know, he gets asked, uh, what are you going to how do we measure this? What success look like? And he says, hold us accountable. We're all in this together. And then he sort of grumbles that the media isn't crediting the, uh, the good things that are happening. Uh, like this uh, 25% drop in shootings from last year, still up from 2019. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, 
all these people, and it's not just whisper chatter stuff. It's also what you see on the trains. If you commute into Midtown, like this quality of life stuff, to use a term that makes people feel nervous about other things that are happening, whether they're seeing it happen in front of them or often not that, that, that uh, you know, all this polling shows that New Yorkers don't feel safe. And this crosses economic lines and color lines and all sorts of other things. It's definitely disproportionate to where the numbers are at. City's been more dangerous and right. people have felt safer. But there are all right. these disorder signs. Uh, there is this increase since 2019. And Adams, who won office saying he was going to fix exactly that, now is very frustrated when when right. he's not credited with, with uh, um, you know, sort of numeric improvements in, in circumstances where people don't feel that resonating in, in, on their own commutes, in their own lives, with, with these smoke shops that are open, with people like being high on the street, yeah. like many of whom are harmless. And this is a public health yeah. issue, but but some of whom aren't. And you worry if you're taking your kids to school or whatever. Yeah. I had a moment the other day where I was like, am I getting old? Because, you know, I walked past... Uh, I'm on Eastern Parkway and I'm walking, you know, to the museum and, you know, to the, um, to the library, Ugh, that exhibit, um, and then to Prospect Park, you know, and it's like everyone's smoking weed. Now, listen, I'm a supporter of Bob Marley. Like everyone's allowed to smoke weed. But I was just like, wow, if I had little ones with me and, you know, my niece was with me earlier this summer, I was like, uh, I, I could see where some people are like, this seems like a lot. That seems like a lot because it, it seemed, you know, it was just like sticky icky everywhere. So for people who are feeling like the city is changing, you know, when I have one of my more moderate to conservative hat, I'm like, all right, I get it. I see why you're sort of, you know, clutching pearls over here. I do think that some of what this administration could do is to like lean into the data Right. Because, listen, you're not going to change people's perceptions. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. When people have a perception that something is more dangerous than it is. I mean, the city has definitely been way more dangerous than it is right now. But that doesn't matter. We're dealing with the now. And so if people think that it's more dangerous, then that's the uphill battle that Adams has to climb. So it's like you lean into the data and try and help people realize that maybe these are kind of one offs. But it does go into a larger conversation about, you know, the abandoned buildings because of real estate still. I mean, the Upper West Side is like a ghost town these days, right? You add that with kind of people sleeping on the subways, you add that with mental health issues, you add that with, you know, the occasional story of unfortunate violence and or homicide of some sort in a community where it normally doesn't happen and or on the subway. So that adds to the whole thing. I think the metrics piece is always fascinating because I'm like, are we forgetting that we spent like damn near a cool billion dollars on like the mental health boondoggle that was Charlene McRae? Like metrics, let's start talking about metrics then. Like then if you know, Eric Adams, that this is going to be a conversation, you have a precedent where it's like, it didn't go well. So why don't you start laying things out for actually the journalists and the policymakers that, that actually do care and that aren't leaning into perception, they're going to lean into the data. Chrissy, so when, when Adam said we're not dealing with Thrive, which Charlene thrived in the course of uh, the city, not so much, but we're going to focus on the severely mentally ill. We spent a bunch of time on this pod interviewing people talking mm -hmm. about this. He said, look, we're setting up this hotline 
police can call. So if they're dealing with someone who seems disturbed, they know whether or not they should be taking this person to a hospital for evaluation and so on. Um, someone or other last week foiled, I don't remember who, apologies, uh, to see how many times that hotline had been called by police officers, you know, in the okay. nearly year since yeah. then. Uh, so, so speaking of data, the, the number for that was zero. Wow. Wow. And I mean, you got to announce these things and I understand that. And then, and then sometimes implementation is a little different, but you have to follow through. And it's always a temptation with any government. You want you want to have the, the big announcement. We're investing in this thing. Uh, we have a new plan and a new path forward. Uh, but then you have to you have to see these things through. You have to track the numbers. You have to hold yourself to account. And part of that is actually setting baselines. That, that if you think these community investments are going to uh, are going to be a blueprint for safety, you say here are the ten things we're measuring, and yeah. and you put that up. And it's hard to do. And it's it's you know your advisors are going to always tell you not to on everything and say yeah just getting stuff done. That's it. Um, people can see for themselves, but people aren't seeing for themselves, and this isn't quite working the way you want. And this is why you have to. Look at numbers and say what they are in advance, not when it's down year to year, saying that afterward. Right. Right. But uh, say, saying beforehand, here are the things to measure me against. And and Adams is working very hard. He's competent. He's got a hard circumstance, but he can do that. And and, and then people will barely hold him to those numbers or complain when they don't. But you have to say what success looks like. Not right. so, so two points before we get out of here. Mm-hmm. So one. I will say that I think he's savvier politically than the two of us combined. Mm-hmm. I'll give him that. So that being said, I think a lot of politicians are like, you know what? I'm not wasting my time kind of checking in with you guys. Like the press is going to be the press, right? So it's like, I'm going to check in with the voters before it's election time. So I'm, I'm curious if that's the strategy, which is like, let me just <laughs> do this this stuff now. The only people who care, like the Harrys and Chrissies and, you know, Dana's and Jeff's of the world and Emily's and Katie's. So it's like, I'm just doing my job. You get in where you fit in. But the people I really care about at the end are the voters who are going to come to the polls in June and or November of 2025. That's a question I'm curious. Um, Or if he'll just sort of throw out some crumbs to kind of keep reporters off his back. But also this narrative that does work, which is, you know, the media harasses me insert coded language of because I'm, you know, African-American executive, because I'm not like, you know, previous executives, because I'm a uh, more working class blue collar, whatever the reason may be, which does in endear him to a lot of voters because they do think that the media is this elite liberal sort of quasi out of touch entity. So I think that this two-pronged strategy, we'll see if it works out in 2025, but I do think that there is a strategy to it. So then the last part before we go, I just want to remind our listeners, yeah, I've been reading some of Katie's uh, reports on the lifeguard situation that, you know, she wrote a lot about last summer and has picked up again because the the lifeguard situation and the beach closings have just not gotten better. And that's the understatement of the century coming out of my mouth right now. But I'm, I've been reading her work because of these heat waves and because of so many families needing to go to the beach and this lack of extension of lifeguards. Uh, and I went to my favorite beach and, you know, a whole section of the beach was closed off because some birds were nesting. So, you know, I did not have a problem with that. But that also cut off a large part of the beach for certain families. And we have to obviously protect our natural environment. There's some moss that they were trying to protect as well and some seagrass, which I totally get. But we've got extreme heat. We've got cooling centers 
because this administration has not followed up. So there are a lot of cooling centers that are not open. So a lot of families are using the beach as a resource in a cooling center and their lifeguards aren't available and the beaches are, you know, cutting off lifeguards. And then of course, families aren't going to pack it up at six. Like the sun is still out for another two and a half hours, but there's no lifeguard on duty. And I just think that like these, they're not small issues because we know that so many New York families rely on the beach essentially as a cooling center or, you know, a source of relief in their super hot neighborhood and also their super hot building. Chrissy, thank you. Stay tuned this week for more about cooling centers, some news coming up at the city. Stay tuned right now if you're dying to hear the credits. F-A-Q. It's been FAQ NYC. It's part of the city. Nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard hitting reporting serving the people of New York. Works freely available to everyone. The city.nyc. Supported by listeners, readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. An affiliate we are of NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research. Proud member we is Brickhouse Cooperative of Popular.com. Our hosts, Christina Greer, the inimitable, and me, the Harry Siegelable, who's also our executive producer. Our engineer, sound person, Adam Kamara. Listener, you, thanks for joining us and making it this far. Goodbye. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, what was I thinking? It do- it doesn't matter, uh, but I should just tell you, because I noticed that you do, you do this as kind of like a signature thing, the hard-hitting. Zoom filters that. You don't even hear it. You use that? No. No, Zoom filtered that, too. Zoom filtered that. Hard. <laughs> hitting. Reporting. Boom. Hard. Pow. Hitting. Zap. Reporting. Wow. You cannot use any of this. I got to go. Bye, Adam. All right. Catch you later. Thank you.